Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Lord, this is such a glorious hope that, that our salvation, that the fullness of our salvation is in no way dependent on anything that we have secured in and of ourselves. It's not based on our skill or our aptitude, but it is based on all of what Christ has done. That we can be secure, that we can be looked on as the very righteousness of God because of our blessed Savior. Lord Jesus, you have secured so much for us. You have, you have transformed us in ways that completely mystify our minds. You've made us new. That before we were not a people and now we are the people of God. Lord, we are so grateful for this. And God, we ask as we open your word that you would open our hearts. You would soften our ears to the spirit. And that this time would be profitable and that your word would not return void. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I feel, I feel pretty confident in saying no matter what you're into, that it's an indisputable fact that music is best enjoyed live. Nothing, I, I think live music is just one of the more enjoyable experiences. It's just pure. It just draws you in. And I've even heard it's true for that stuff they call country. <laughs> Although I'm not willing to try it myself. You know, I mean, certainly music can be enjoyed through the stereo in your car. It can be enjoyed through earbuds. Uh, it can be in, enjoyed through, uh, you know, going through the eras of our congregation through, through vinyl and eight-track and cassette and CD and MP3. All those formats it can be enjoyed in. And, but there's just something about seeing it live. Even when it's like a cover band, you know, like the symphony. Think about it. It's, it's landing. Okay. But even, even like when you go to see like the symphony where it's really formal, I would much rather watch Mozart than listen to it through a computer or whatever. To see the passion of the musicians, to watch the emotion of the conductor. And I think we can all agree that the stars of the show, the tubas, really bring it home. <laughs> but music, listening to music on your own, in whatever the capacity is, it's a Spotify playlist, it's a CD, it's a YouTube channel, Whatever it is, watching that music, listening to it on your own, can certainly elicit 
an emotion, and there, there's something to be had in that. There are songs, and all of us have them. There are songs that when you listen to it, you just you need to listen to it with no one talking. There are songs that for, for all of us, there are songs that just hit different for us. But music is meant to be seen. And when we limit our music to earbuds, car speakers, computer speakers, whatever, we miss the fullness of what's offered within the music. Being a part of that audience and, and hearing a song that you've come to love played live and, and, and seeing the nuance and hearing the nuance that the, that the musicians put on it live, how the solos are different, the intro is different, the linking of songs that do not appear next to each other in the track list all of that comes together to provide something greater, to provide something more intimate than, than whatever your car stereo is can produce. In the same way, there is a benefit. There is a clear benefit to listening to a good preaching podcast. There is a clear benefit to either building your own or finding a Spotify playlist that just has like some worship bangers, right? Like just some great music that you can, in the privacy of your home, your car, your walk, whatever, you can, you can in your heart, exalt the Lord while listening to that. And there is, of course, great benefit in having regular personal Bible reading in your life. These are all great. And as we read scripture, there are certainly personal moments that an individual has with the Lord, but we also note that God deals regularly with the assembly of his people. That God deals with the assembly of his people. That we are, as, we, as the pages of scripture unfold, we need to realize that a, a key piece, a significant piece of our identity in Christ, of who we're saved to be, is not at all individualistic, but very much a corporate, communal identity that we have as the people of God. And that our walk with Christ is meant to be lived out in community. It's an intrinsic. There's, there's a, sorry, let me start that sentence over again. There's an intrinsic and God-designed value in gathering together as believers. In the same way that music is meant to be heard and seen, the Christian life is meant to be personal and corporate. When we do not properly prioritize gathering of believers, when we short the importance of gathering, we end up missing out on the fullness that the Lord has for us. We stunt our spiritual growth and we more open ourselves to being led astray because we miss all of what God has for us, that there's purpose in gathering. And so last, a couple weeks ago when we, we ended Judges, a, a dear sister in Christ said to me after church, that was great. Is the next series going to be maybe a little more uplifting? And... <laughs> At that point, I was planning on doing Lamentations next. Um, but I thought, okay, maybe that's a little much. Maybe that's a little much. 
So what we are doing, uh, no, what, what, we, what we've decided, this year we've been focusing on gathering. Uh, some of you may feel that we purchased a dead horse named gathering. We've just been beating it all year. Well, we're, we're going to hit it a few more times. And specifically what we're looking at is, is what do we do? What do we come together to do? Not just, you know, last, over the summer we talked about that we would gather on purpose, that we would come with the expectation that we are going to give and receive and care for one another in, in very particular ways as guided by Scripture. But there are things that we do as we gather. And so we want to talk about those things. And you may be asking why I as a pastor can with such confidence say that gathering is so essential. You may be saying, is this self-serving? How can you be so sure? And I want to first of all say it's not self-serving. Uh, even though I can get that, you know, like, oh, the guy in front tells us we need to come listen to him more. I see it. But I want you to see that it's you serving that you would understand the importance of coming together is, in, is, is just essential to the way God intends for us to walk with him. He is a personal God that draws us in personal ways to be in and part of his people. Keep in mind, Jesus didn't say, like, look, I'm going to make a whole bunch of houses for you. He said, I'm going to make a house, of, and in that house, there, there's many, many rooms. This is either going to terrify or excite you. <laughs> you look around. You might not live in a separate residence than the person next to you. You might be in a dorm room next door to them. Our father has one house for his family. Think about that. We are the family of God, and our heavenly father built one house for his family. A significant part of how the Lord intends to walk with us is in community with other believers. The expression of that is the local church. We have community with other local churches. But how, how can I be so confident that this is essential, that this local church gathering is so important? Well, we go to Acts. And we're going to be in Acts 2. We're, we're really going to focus on one verse mostly today. But in Acts 2, a very exciting thing happens. It's called the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fills and empowers the, the apostles. They go out. They preach. Their first day of preaching, 3,000 people get saved. The very next thing that we see after those 3,000 people get saved is they start intentionally meeting together for specific purposes. And so this morning, I want to see that as great as any concert may be, there's something about gathering as a church that not even Taylor Swift can touch. <laughs> and I mean it. Because when you go to a Taylor Swift concert, you go and you see lights and you hear big speakers and there's great choreography, costumes, whatever. There's great effects. When we come and gather as believers, there's a supernatural event that happens. And it happens every time. See? <laughs> As the redeemed people of God, we gather, and what we do when we gather is we commune with heaven. 
Let's go to Acts 2. We're going to start reading verse 42. We're going to read the rest of Acts 2. This is a description of the early church, but we're going to really center just back on verse 42. And the people devote, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As redeemed people of God, we gather to commune with heaven. We commune with heaven through persistent and devotion, persistent devotion to the word of God. And they devoted themselves. This is, this is a steadfast devotion. This is nothing's going to hold me back. I don't think the word priority, giving it priority, that idea, I don't think that does it justice. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what was the apostles' teaching? While we clearly don't have the sermons all in record, we have a few in record. But the apostles taught the Bible. Now, what does that mean? Because what would be included in this? Peter had not written 1 Peter yet. Paul hadn't even been saved yet at this point. So it goes back to the Old Testament. They open the Old Testament. Peter's first sermon starts in the book of Joel. We think of what, what Paul says in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training up in righteousness. What Paul was describing when he said all Scripture is the Old Testament. As the New Testament was still being put together, the gospel writers hadn't yet put the stories to pen and paper. And so what they are doing is they are going through the Old Testament, looking at the full counsel of God. Remember, the New Testament doesn't disagree with the Old Testament. It explains the fulfillment of much of what's in the New Testament, but there's not a disagreement. It's not describing two different gods. And so they are teaching who God is in light of the new covenant. They are training for righteousness. They are rebuking sin. They are pointing to grace. And they're also fulfilling the Great Commission. Remember at the end of the Great Commission, uh, or, or right there kind of in the middle of it, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. So these apostles who have spent the last three years traveling with Christ through his earthly ministry, watching the miracles, hearing his teaching, are now teaching the Gospels in their pre-written form. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, they are dealing with what I would call the epistle source material as the apostles themselves are teaching. Pastor theologian Ray Ortland, I recently heard him 
make this comparison. Ray Ortland is in his early 70s. He says, I open my medicine cabinet and there's a whole lot of bottles in there and I don't have one pill for, for all my needs. I have a lot of pills for all my needs. He said, the Bible, we open it up and it's like a cabinet with 66 prescriptions for us. Dealing with our gospel need, our need for the Lord to intervene in our lives. So what does persistent devotion to the word of God look like? Well, one, it looks like giving it attention. That we would prioritize attention to God's word. This means, how does our Saturday routine enable our study of God's word first thing Sunday morning? Because we can't move the service back or you guys will miss lunch or miss other things and and you'll get mad at me. I'm not too worried about that, but we, we, meet, we meet in the morning. So what are you doing at night to enable careful attention to the study of God's word on a Sunday morning? What are you doing during the study of God's word? Are you underlining things in your Bible? Are you checking your social media? Are you making sure your fantasy lineup is in order? It Persistent devotion to God's word looks like continued thought and study, not just on Sunday morning. I hope that none of you are counting on this sermon to get you through the week spiritually. I hope it may spark deeper study of God's word through the week. That would be great. But I hope none of you are like, well, that sermon did it. Don't have to open my Bible till next Sunday. I also hope that as you guys are are engaging yourself with whether it would be adult Bible fellowship or a midweek Bible study, whether that's the simple Bible study for for men because we're simple creatures or it's the women's Bible studies that meet throughout the week. I hope that you're you're digging into those, that you're, you're putting in a lot so you can get out a lot, that you're giving yourself to the word, that you would, in the terms of Acts, that you would be a Berean, that as you hear the word of God taught, you would examine the scriptures to see if what you are being taught is right. That, you're, that a persistent devotion to Scripture would motivate study, not to puff, up, puff us up with knowledge, but to change us. That we would come to God's Word saying, my life is kind of screwed up. I need help. I need, I need, my life is so messed up. I need divine words from heaven to help me. And I'm coming here because I need to change. I need to be taught how to pray. I need to be shored up in my fears and my insecurities. I need to be bolstered in my faith. I need wisdom and discernment. I need to know how to act when I encounter a fool. I need to be taught that there's a God who forgives me every time I sin. I need to be shown what it is to turn and repent. That we would come to the word of God out of a posture of need and humility and that persistent motivation means that I don't fall victim to the warning in James 1.22 that I wouldn't just listen to the word of God and so deceive myself, but I would actually do what it says. They were devoted to the word of God. And they had devotion 
to commonality with each other. Now, I think if we were to make a list of the essential things for a church to do, what is absolutely paramount for us, our top three would boil down to word, worship, and prayer. But these, these guys, they snuck in fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. But I want to make something very clear. This is not the kind of water cooler talk, occasional potluck fellowship that we grow accustomed to. This is something much, much deeper. It is something empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here they are. We have 3,000 people, freshly saved, brought into the Word of God, receiving the Holy Spirit, 3,000 souls gather together, and their second priority is fellowship. This is deep and powerful and amazing. This is the, and, and this is the first time the word we've grown accustomed to hearing with fellowship, like one of like the three Greek words we know as the people of God, koinonia. This is where koinonia first appears. It appears the first day of church. Pastor, commentator Kent Hughes describes us as a Holy Spirit enabled. This is godly fellowship. Fellowship that requires a sharing with one another. It requires a giving. This is no way a stagnated fellowship where we walk in, hi, how are you? Good morning, have a good week. And we leave never having really gotten to know what's going on in someone's life. It's a fellowship that flows from a relationship with the triune God. It echoes of his love and character. It's a fellowship that expresses good theology. Later on in Acts 2, as we read earlier, talked about how they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds as all had need, sharing with one another, having all things in common. And there's the obvious material application, but we see as we unfold Scripture, the affection of koinonia, that we would have brotherly love for one another, that we would care for the spiritual needs of one another, ministering to the brokenhearted, building one another up in love, stirring up one another to good works, that there would be gospel growth needs and sending and going, that there would be church growth needs and serving members of the body, taking care, making sure none of the widows are neglected, making sure the children are cared for and the needs of believers in other churches. In 2 Corinthians 8, we hear about the Macedonians giving themselves first to the Lord and then to the cause of the church in Jerusalem, which was facing hardship, giving beyond what they had the ability to do. For a long time, in our American consumeristic spin on gathering, we've mistakenly made fun relationships the point of fellowship. Who can I go to church and socialize with? Who can I need? We need to find that other couple that has kids our age that both we as husband and wife like both of them as husband and wife. And if we can't find that at this church, then we're going to go find it at another church. That's not the point of fellowship. It can be a blessing of fellowship. The point of fellowship is this. We're a group of people. who have confessed our sins to God 
been saved by his grace and mercy and made new in Christ in the work of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a dark world with a lot of sin. And we need each other. That we have experienced this great love of God through Christ. And so we extend the same love to one another that God has so richly and generously given to us. That as Christians, we are sojourners in a strange land. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. And we don't seek fellowship just to find someone to play cards with, because we here at Westchester believe in Christian freedom. (laughs) We fellowship because we see our need and the needs of each other in walking well with the Lord. And we want to play a part in that. So two questions. What does persistent devotion to fellowship look like? And what does this have to do with communing with heaven? Well, it looks like people who are praying for each other. It looks like affectionate accountability. It looks like life-on-life community in such a way that secret abuse gets really hard to keep secret. It looks like support for one another as we face cancer, unemployment, confusion with how to raise our kids, concern for our grandkids that don't walk with the Lord the way we desire them to. It looks like at Westchester, our English congregation being as welcoming to our Chinese congregation as we are to anyone who walks in the doors for the first time. It looks like gladly serving with one another and studying God's word with one another, even though it may feel like the only thing we have in common is that the Holy Spirit of God resides in us, which is the most important thing you can have in common. So that's what it looks like. What does it have to do with communion in heaven? This is pretty simple. How can you expect to commune with God if you ignore the body of Christ? If the church is the body of Christ and we want to have a supernatural communion with heaven, with the triune God, how could ignoring, disenfranchising, or completely failing to prioritize the body of Christ affect our spiritual walk with God the Father. I think it's a pretty profound impact. Finally, we see a devotion to worshipful dependence. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. First, we have the breaking of bread. This is more than just sharing a meal together. This was was sharing a covenantal reminder with one another. We we see in, in the epistles, we see in the early church that they would gather for meals. Their meal together would culminate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes they did that well. The Corinthians struggled with it. I'm not going to say too much about this because in a couple weeks, Pastor Austin will say a whole lot more about it. 
But I will say this, throughout history, God's covenant people have been prone to wander off from his covenant faithfulness. And we need regular reminders to recall his great love for us and the truth that we are saved by grace, the truth that that the Lord established a new covenant for us. And devoted to prayer. We've, We've heard different acronyms. I want to introduce an acronym. Not the most flattering acronym. It's ACID. You know what? You guys hired me. (laughs) It's on you. But it starts with adoration. Worshipful thankfulness to the Lord. Declaring His glories back to Him. And as we declare the holiness and the grandeur and the wonders of God back to him, as we see ourselves in light of this, it turns to confession. God, I am so in need of your help and deliverance from my sin. And then from adoration to confession, it goes to intercession. We have a practice on this. We started this week. We'll carry on for a while. We have the prayer wall back there that we can write simple requests We can just put something up there. Doctor's appointment. You could just put up doctor's appointment. Job. You could put up, you know, you know, or I'm not going to make a joke. You could put up anything there, just a simple thing, trusting God knows exactly who wrote that and exactly what the situation is. Because we don't pray to a God who's ignorant and unaware of what's going on in our lives. We pray to a God who knows exactly what's going on in our lives, is more present with us than we could ever imagine. And he's present with the people who put those requests up there. And we say, God, I don't know who put this thing about their job up there, but God, I pray that you would. And then just pray as the Lord's leading you. And then look for that prayer request to get moved the next, over the next few weeks. See what happens. Trust God. Care for one another in prayer. And then we pray for God for discernment. God, I don't know what to do here. I need your guidance. God, would you help me with this relationship? Would you help me with this situation? These are practices we do not do out of ritual. We do them out of absolute need. We're not devoted because we're just devoted to doing the right things. We're devoted to things. we, we, We need to be devoted to this the same way we're devoted to being hydrated every day. This is a fundamental need of our spirituality that we would be devoted to God's word, to commonality with one another, and to this worshipful dependence. We're devoted to reminding ourselves of the covenant because we can't afford to forget it. We are devoted to prayer because God is the only one worthy and able. So why is gathering better? More importantly, why is it just not simply enough to have good Bible reading plan, a playlist, occasional cup of grape juice, and some Hawaiian rolls while thinking about Jesus? God didn't save you to be alone. He saved you to be a child in a family. He saved you to be a member of a holy priesthood and part of a people. I remember back in the the 90s, there was a big push on our identity in Christ. And certainly those of us who remember that 
have benefited from it greatly. To be able to call the truth that I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a city on a hill. We've made that so individual. Even to say I'm a city and make that an individual thing, think about that. How ridiculous it would be to make that an individualistic thing. Instead to say we as the people of God are a city on a hill. We are the salt of the earth. We are that light that cannot be hidden. In 2021, I got COVID for the first time after going to a junior high all-night retreat. Hmm. (laughs) Easily the thing I miss the least about being a youth pastor. I got COVID. Not only did I get COVID, I got COVID right before Thanksgiving. So I was sequestered to the guest room in our house. I lost almost all of my taste and smell. Occasionally something would get past the filter. And I stayed home with the dog (laughs) while the rest of my family went to Omaha. In the afternoon of Thanksgiving, I pulled out a take-and-bake pizza and cooked it up. The dog and I watched football. The dog and I went for a walk. I was feeling better, but, you know, alone. I had a lovely brother-in-law that sent me pictures of the food I was missing. (laughs) And a much more lovely neighbor who that evening my doorbell rang and there were a couple plates of food on my porch. And she did it right. There was turkey. There was brisket. I tell you what, I'm I'm just going to say this flat out. If you don't have African-American friends, you need them. If you don't have African-American neighbors, you need them. There was yams. There was stuffing, green beans. There was a bowl. Not like a little bit full, but a bowl of cobbler. She, she didn't put the collard greens on there because she thought I was too white for them. <laughs> I might be. I had Thanksgiving Day. I had really good Thanksgiving food. I had football. I had uninterrupted football. And it was the worst Thanksgiving I've ever experienced because I did not have the fellowship I longed for. It was not a full Thanksgiving. And there are so many times that the people of God, whether it's because of misaligned priorities or bitterness they have in their heart, or some other reason that, that, that's hard to explain in just a minute or two, have distanced themselves from the body of Christ. And they're reading the Bible, they're listening to worship music, they're taking a shot of grape juice every now and then, 
they still pray on their own, they're missing out. And if you're someone who's been keeping the body of Christ at arm's length, would you put your arms down and just walk with us? Would you devote yourself to these things with us? Let's pray. Father, you are so infinitely good and you've given us more than we realize within the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to a fuller walk with you. Lead us to a deeper understanding of who you've called us to be as the body of Christ. And now as we respond, as these songs that we sing make it to heaven and you hear them, would it please you? And in the midst of it, would you be working in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.